Have a seat. My name is JD. I'm the Crosstalk Pastor here at Cypress Creek Church, and I am incredibly excited to, to get the chance to, to worship with you guys tonight. Um, and I, I heard someone say one time, uh, several years ago, a pastor friend of mine, that uh, his belief was that you always preached best out of what the Lord was teaching you. And I feel like as I've studied this scripture for tonight, the Lord has taught me a lot through it. And, and I'm excited to share that with you guys because I've seen the way in which it has influenced how I see God and how I understand what Jesus did on the cross for me. And I, and I had one of those weeks, I got to tell you guys, where I had a real rough time with my words, not in like using them poorly or struggling with it, but it was really struggling with them. Taylor can tell you, she had several times where she would just stop me and she's like, that, that sentence didn't make sense. It was like one of those where my brain was going so fast that it was already on to the next thought before I'd finished the current sentence. And so when I tried to say, I love you to Taylor, I think I said goodbye at one point, which is maybe the exact opposite. And it was like this, I just couldn't, and there were points in times where I just couldn't get the words out. Like I, w- I knew what I wanted to say, and then I just couldn't spit it out for some reason. And I, I, it, it got me thinking about those times where, and I was on the phone with my brother and he was having me explain something. And it's something that was like very second nature to me. Like I, I understand it deeply. It was actually like a theology thing. And I understand it. I could talk about it for days. And I just couldn't manage to get it out of my head and into words in a way that like made sense. In a way that was concise or a way that had like a thought pattern that you could follow all the way through. And I don't know if you guys have had those similar experiences where it was something that you know really well, like your thing. And some, when someone asked you to describe it, you just couldn't do it for some reason. I was thinking back um, when Taylor and I were living at camp, this was in March, when, when COVID hit and everything shut down, we didn't have any camp guests. And so it gave us a bunch of time for us to, to work on projects that we never had the chance to get finished because there were always like hundreds of people around. And so my project was, I was building four cabins, like four cabins in the middle of the wood. They were mine, McKenna and Taylor, and like all of these friends were helping me build them. And I did everything that Ben does, only much worse. And it was like framing things out and like hanging doors and putting siding up and roofing them and then building like porches and stairs and railings, like all of, all of the stuff. And quite frankly, I like know a little bit about a lot of things, but definitely not enough to do a vast majority of those projects. And so what would happen is I would get to this spot where I'm like, I think I know how it's supposed to look. I've seen a house before. I know how it's supposed to look. What I'm doing is not computing with how like a house is supposed to look. If we do it my way, it's going to end up looking like the shrieking shack. And I'd have to get on the radio. There's no cell service at camp. And so I would have to get on the radio and we've got these radios and I'm calling for somebody who's like a mile away and I'm asking for them to explain to me how to do this. Like, I don't know how to put the, the last, the drip edge on the roofing on and I can't get the nail gun to wear, like all of these sorts of things. And they're trying to explain it and they're cutting out. It's like this miserable sort of experience trying to do it over a radio. And then they would finally get frustrated enough that they would just drive over. It would take them 15 seconds. They would do the whole project for me and then they would leave. Like it was this very second nature thing that they do all of the time that I couldn't figure out. And there was just this communication barrier, right? It was hard for them to, to take all of that, those years of knowledge, that years of experience, 
and translate it into sentences that would translate over like a, a shortwave radio, basically. And I think that, that we can have similar sorts of experiences when it comes to explaining our faith. I think for, for a lot of us, faith in Jesus is this second nature thing. We don't think about it. We don't have to process like exactly all of these things at any given moment, but we know them. They're like very deeply ingrained. These truths are ingrained in us. But then when someone asks you to, to explain it to them, someone who doesn't know, so oftentimes we get caught up on our words and we really struggle to explain those things in a very coherent way. We're jumping all over the place trying to say something that makes sense. And then you walk away from that experience and you're like, I just, I don't know what I just said. Like that, would, that wasn't any good. And this really became evident in my own life when I was uh, in the process of getting into grad school. I'm in seminary right now, and as part of seminary, just like any other college, you have those really horrible college essays, right? There were like four of them for Fuller. And one of the essays for Fuller was writing on your own personal theology. The prompt was this super vague, like, tell us what you believe about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Bible, and you only have 500 words. You're like, I don't even know where to begin with this. It was a, it was a very paralyzing thing for me. It was very overwhelming, and, and that became like very disconcerting for me. I've like been a believer for, for my entire life, and then when someone asked me like this open-ended question of, like, explain to me the Christian faith, it was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it took way more effort and thought for me to organize those thoughts in a way that like that made sense from beginning to end. And I think that's a lot of what this series is intended to do. To help us recognize the foundational truths of who we are as followers of Jesus today. And if you guys are just joining us for the first time, we're in a series called the five solas. And the word sola means alone. The word sola means Alone, And so these five things alone define what it means to follow Jesus today. No matter your denominational background or your church history, these are the five things that each one of those holds as true, whether we knew it or not. And these five truths served as a corrective for the church in 1500, and I believe that they serve as just as much of a corrective today in the church. So it's important for us to understand these things as the foundations of what we truly believe, not what we're told, not what tradition tells us or leaders tell us, but are these things, these are the foundational pieces of what it means to follow Jesus. Because we can so often get lost in personality or we can get lost in tradition that we don't have a background on what we actually believe. And this is really just how we define ourselves. We started uh, several weeks ago by talking about Scripture alone, how Scripture alone has to be our authority for understanding God's work in the world. It's in that space that, that we understand three things. We understand who God is. Scripture tells us who God is. It tells us who we are as broken creatures desperately in need of Jesus. And it tells us how we change as a result of experiencing him. 
And if we don't understand the scripture alone is our authority for understanding what's going on in the world around us, none of the rest of this matters. That is the basic foundational truth is that scripture is our authority, the only authority in our life. And then two weeks ago, we talked about grace alone. We discussed that grace alone is God's attitude towards us. That grace alone is God's attitude towards us. And we understand in that space that we, that we know a God who pursues us, a God who says yes to us even when we say no to him. That God broke into time and space and sent Jesus to demonstrate that to us. Because we're broken and we're sinners, we know that we need him. And last week we talked about faith alone, that it is by faith alone that we come into relationship with God. And it's in this space that we understand that we can never do enough, be enough, or bring enough to the table to earn God's grace. We saw in Galatians that relying upon our own works, in relying upon our own works, we reject the grace of God and we nullify Jesus' death on the cross. It is by faith alone, simply turning back to God and saying yes to God, that we come into relationship with him. And today we turn our attention to Christ alone. That Christ alone is sufficient for salvation. And really, this is the foundational center point of all of our theology here in the Christian church, right? To miss that it is only through Christ that we have salvation is to miss the essence of the gospel. Because we need to understand this as central as the central truth that we base our lives around. And this concept is born out of a question asked by Jesus to his disciples. The disciples and Jesus, they've just sailed across the lake and they're in the region of Caesarea Philippi. And in Matthew 16, we see the disciples sitting around and they're just conversing with Jesus. And it's in this space that Jesus asked the disciples, who do the people say that I am? Who do the people say that I am? And some say John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a great priest, uh, great prophet. We know that he was pointing to the Messiah to come, but that he died, that he was beheaded. Some say that he was like an Old Testament prophet like Jeremiah or Elijah. Because you see, Elijah was carried up to heaven. It was said that he was going to come again. And Jesus responds to them and he says, I know who they say I am, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am. And that question and the corresponding answer makes all the difference for us. Because you see, Peter answers Jesus and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replies to him and said, blessed are you, Simon, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And the answer to that question makes all the difference for us. Because, you see, everyone who heard that statement would have understood the significance of what just happened. We know that the Gospel of Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. And this Jewish audience knew the Old Testament. They knew what it meant that there was a Messiah to come. And when they studied the Messiah, they identified three offices or three roles that were to define the Messiah. And they're important for us to understand. 
Because when Peter said that you are the Messiah, everyone in that room, everyone reading that gospel would have gotten it immediately. Because the Messiah was to come as a prophet teacher. He was supposed to come as a prophet teacher, a great moral and philosophical teacher. The Messiah was to come as a priest, one who stood between humankind and God. And the Messiah was to come as a king, one who is to rule over the people. And those three characteristics had to be evident in the Messiah. And they're called the threefold office of the Messiah or the threefold office of Christ. And they were important for anyone who was evaluating who Christ was. And just a quick note on translations. Maybe you guys are in Matthew 16 right now, and it, maybe it says, instead of Messiah, it says Christ. Those are the same words. They're both translated from the, from the same Hebrew word. One of them gets translated from Hebrew to Greek to English. The other goes directly from Hebrew to English. So they mean the same thing. Christ and Messiah mean the same thing. And so when Peter made the, the statement that you are the Messiah, you are the Christ, he was saying something very, very specific. Many people in many cultures would tell us that Jesus was a prophet teacher right? Both Judaism and Islam affirm that Jesus was a prophet. Islam affirms that he was the most significant or the most important prophet. Mahatma Gandhi, one of the, the maybe the most famous Hindu of all time, Jesus was his favorite author. And then we look at the Buddhists, and the Buddhists would say that Jesus was a great moral and wise teacher. And then we look at the culture around us as a whole, and the majority would affirm that Jesus taught great moral principles for us to live by, being a good neighbor, loving your enemy, right? And all of those things are important in the prophet-teacher role. But if we just stop there, which many people do, we lessen who Jesus was and we lessen Peter's answer. We end up with this form of moralistic deism where it's just about doing good and being good. That there's no great end purpose to it, but we're just supposed to be good people. That we're supposed to do good to others. That we're supposed to be loving and kind. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says it in this way. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of the man who declares that he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about him being a good human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and so consequently, however strange or terrifying, 
or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Peter said, you are the Messiah, but he also said that you are the son of the living God. And with that claim, everything changed because he went beyond Jesus as just a great moral teacher. But for us to understand that, we need some background knowledge. We have to go back to Moses in Exodus 3. And in Exodus 3, what we see is God appears to Moses in the burning bush. And he starts speaking to him. And Moses says, who are you? Who are you? And God simply answers and he says, I am. I am. And we in society use that phrase all the time, but it's always on contingent upon what comes after it. I am a husband. I am a pastor. I am a son. I am a brother. I am a friend. With God, he is not contingent upon anything. He is simply the great I am, which becomes a very central concept to the Jewish people. The name by which they call God, Yahweh, I am. You see, Jesus takes that and he uses it saying, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the shepherd. I am the vine. Then Jesus says something really remarkable. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And at that point, there's a dramatic shift in our understanding. That is the importance of Peter's statement. Now we see Jesus not as this great moral teacher, but as the great high priest who stands between us and God. You see, that was the Old Testament system. Priests offered sacrifices for the people. They would go daily and offer sacrifice. And it was this sacrifice for the people's sin. And in Hebrews 10, the author begins to replace that idea of the Old Testament priest with who the Messiah was. He says, starting in verse 11, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, this priest, the Messiah, was not one who offered something once and then again the next day. He offered it one time, a single sacrifice for all of humanity. And how did he do that? Well, he became the sacrifice himself. He became the sacrifice himself, and he hung there on that cross, and he bore the weight of the sins of humanity, of me, and of you, and of our fathers, and those who have come before us. And the idea is that he took on this priestly role He stood between us and God, and he does so today. Which is why we can set down the baggage of our past. We can set down all of our hurts, our hang-ups, our wounds, our brokenness, and lay it at the feet of Jesus. And the big question is why? Why? And the easy answer is because it's not about you. And it's not about me. This is about God, the God who intervened in human history, 
entered into time and space to put us in right relationship with him. If you think that the story of the Bible is about you, then you are sorely mistaken. It all points to Jesus, who sacrificed himself to put us in right relationship with the Father. And he stands now as our great high priest. Verse 15 says, And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. He has taken the burden of our sin and our lawless deeds upon himself. And so not only do we talk about the burdens of our past, but we always also talk about our future. A future that is not filled with dismay, but a future that is filled with hope. Because we have been brought back into right relationship with God because of what he has done. Not us, but God. And it's important for us to go back to Peter's statement on a daily basis. He said, you are the Messiah the son of the living God, you are the prophet teacher. You are the priest and you are the king. Because we see that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the one who rules over our life. He is the one who gives us power. He is the one who is able to do things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. You see, Christ alone is the mediator with the Father. Christ alone has paid for our sins by his death on the cross. Christ alone is sufficient for all of the world's problems. Christ alone is our way to salvation. There's nothing that needs to be added to Christ's work for salvation, for it is Christ alone plus nothing. It is Christ alone that is the center of our faith. When we look at this book, when we look at this book, the Bible, and in it we see that the whole thing points to Jesus and Jesus alone. His work is sufficient. And that's why Jesus' question to Peter is so important for us today. Because it's not who the church says Jesus is. It's not who your parents say Jesus is. It is not who JD says Jesus is. But rather, it is who do you say he is? Who do you say he is? And that's my question for you today. Because Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And that made all of the difference for him. And it makes all of the difference for us today. For it is Christ alone and nothing more. And so what, what I want to do here, and if, if you guys are a community group leader, if you guys could help me out, we're just going to have community group leaders here on the outside of the room. And as we go back into worship, if you guys have never accepted Jesus, 
into your heart before, I would urge you to prayerfully consider that today. Our community group leaders are here. And this is what they love to talk about. This is what we love to do. This is what we at Crosstalk are all about. If you guys have any questions about who Jesus is or what he did, go talk to somebody. If you guys are just hurting and you guys are dealing with stuff and you guys just need prayer, go pray with somebody. Later in Hebrews 10, the writer encourages us saying, so let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. I don't know a lot, guys, but I know this very simple truth. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. His work on the cross was sufficient for you and for me. And so whatever's stirring up in your guys' heart, whether that is questions, whether that is hurts, whether that is the stuff that's going on, the one who promised Jesus is faithful to walk with you to bear the burden of all of that stuff. Because we can set that down at the foot of the cross because of his sufficient work. When we accept Jesus, we get a teacher, we get a priest, and we also get a king. And that's something extraordinary. Because in those truths, we find life, and we find life abundantly. For it is Christ alone and nothing else. Let me pray.